No, children don't have children's shirts today, do they? Let's continue to pray. They do? Okay. Uh, if you can, let's do what the song says. If you can't, don't worry about it. But could you bow? If you want to come to the altar and bow, you can. If you want to bow at your seat, you certainly can. Let's get on our knees before the Lord today. And let's pray. Father, it's obvious there are some people that are hurting today. It's obvious there are people that carry burdens today. And I thank you, Lord, that that's not news to you. And I thank you for your all-sufficient grace. And I thank you for your omniscience. And I thank you for your omnipotence. Lord, I thank you for your omnipresence. You are with us as we bear these burdens. Father, I think about people in our church, the things that they are going through and their needs. Pray for Bill Lackey as he is recovering from his shoulder surgery. I think about Bob Hooker and the need that he has for his treatments that have been put off. Think about Susan Hall as she is still recovering from the effects of chemotherapy. I think about Cashin and the surgery that he had this past week. I think, Lord, that as I think about so many that have been affected by COVID, people that are affected by economics of our times, as prices go up and wages don't seem to, or some people may have even lost a job, I pray for them. Pray for people whose marriages are struggling, maybe even have ended. Lord, if there's any way possible to bring reconciliation, that's what we would pray for. And we would pray, especially pray for the kids that are experiencing a broken home. We think, Lord, about all the things our nation faces. Forgive us of our many sins and shed your grace upon us because we sure don't deserve your mercy or your blessing. Pour grace out upon us today. Think about Diana Long being moved into ICU and pray that her oxygen levels would come up. Pray that her inflammation would go down and that you would heal her from pancreatitis. Bless the rest of her family. Father, uh, I pray for my daughter Jenny. I pray that as she is struggling with the rapid heartbeats and all that that means as well as a pregnancy, I pray for her. And pray you would heal her and pray that you would also take care of that baby that she carries, our little granddaughter. And Lord, I thank you that today, with all of the things that we have, if we could turn our eyes upon you, that all of our cares would melt away because you are grand and glorious above all that we could ask or think. Lord, I know that there are many, many other needs that I haven't thought of. Forgive me for that. And there are things that have not been expressed, but you know. And I pray, Father, that you would relieve our burdens today, answer our prayers, and do it all in the name of Jesus for the glory of the Father. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Children, I'll remind you, there is Children's Church, so you can go after your leaders went out. I think some didn't hear that. Okay. 
Let's go to Exodus 30 today. I've had uh, several people today express their prayers and love and concern with the surgery that I have upcoming. And uh, am I nervous about it? Well, not right now. I'm, I'm okay right now, but uh, talk to me Wednesday morning, and it might be a different situation. And you say, what are you worried about, dying? No, not really. Uh, that's not what's on my heart. I'm kind of worried about pain and recovery. I don't like those two things. And I really worry about the doctors because I have no idea how they're going to cut into this when they see that red S on my chest. <laughs> I mean, if it can get rid of a bullet, their saw won't work either. But um, anyway, thank you for all of your expressions of love and prayer. I appreciate all of that very much. But we are here not to talk about ourselves, but to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as we go to Exodus 30 and look at our scripture today, 34 through 38, God gives the instruction for the incense. Now, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit back a couple of sections up when we were talking about the building, remember, of that golden altar. And that golden altar was for the um, incense. Now God is telling Moses how it is that they are to make the incense. Not just any incense will do. It has to be what God demands. And that's one of the key things about worship that I think a lot of God's children even, and certainly the world, doesn't understand. Worship is not God just saying, please, just, just give me anything. I'll be happy with whatever you give me. He has certain demands. And this is what happened in the early days of earth when Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord, and Cain did his best. He was sincere and gave the best works, but here's the key, of his hands. And Abel brought the lamb, something that God had created and sacrificed it to the Lord. How did he know how to do that? I have no idea. But apparently both of them knew what God demanded, and Cain decided that what he brought to God would be good enough. And I just want to say to you today that as you come to worship God, He deserves your full attention. He deserves that you would be right with Him. He deserves that you would follow and obey His Word, that you would worship, sing, pray, and give with your whole heart. That's what He deserves, and that's also what He expects, isn't it? And anything short of that falls short of the glory of God and is not true worship. And so uh, we have to battle in order to do that. And we've got to give God this morning what it is that He demands, not just what we think we want to give Him or what we think we can spare. It's not about that. This is a full heart life surrender to the Lord. And we are acknowledging that as we worship Him this morning. And that's reflected in these... uh, passages that we're going to read let's look together exodus 30 34 and the lord said to moses that's the authority behind this take sweet spices stacte and onyanke and uh, galbamon and pure frankincense and with these sweet spices there shall be equal amounts of each 35 You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer. Some versions say apothecary. Salted 
And that word salted could also be translated um, thoroughly mixed, pure, and holy. Verse 36. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. You know, it's one thing to be holy, but most holy. That's a different emphasis, isn't it? Verse 37 says, But as for the incense which you shall make, which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy or set apart for the Lord. This is God's. Verse 38. Whoever makes it or makes any like it to smell it, or just because it smells good, he shall be cut off from his people. And that is a very kind way of administering the death penalty for this. This is how important it is to the Lord. Now, let's uh, talk about this today. First of all, with the first point would be this, the spices. What are these spices that are very difficult to pronounce? I looked at about 20 different commentaries on this and came to this conclusion. Nobody knows. There were some good guesses and there were people that said, but they would use the word probably or maybe or something like that. Well, when I see that, I'm pretty sure that they don't know much more than I do. Now, they would make some guesses and have some ideas about things. The uh, commentary that Spurgeon used and recommended said uh, the stock day was the finest myrrh and the uh, annika. I always say that different. So if I say it a different way, same word, not an unknown tongue, it's mine. Um, it's supposed to be an odoriferous shell. Well, that blesses me, an odoriferous shell. And reading further in others, they believed that it might have been made from the claw of a sea creature that resided in the uh, Red Sea. And, of course, that's where they are. They're by that. And uh, then there was the uh, galmanum, and that was a gum resin from a tree. Uh, excuse me, from an... Uh, here's another word for you. I had to look this one up. An umbelliferous plant. Somebody say amen. I mean, you know what that is. You know what that means, umbelliferous? It's like parsley. So it's more of an herb uh, type of thing. And then frankincense, of course, is a dry, resinous, aromatic gum of a yellow color, which comes from a tree in Arabia and is attained by incision of the bark. Okay, well, we can give an invitation and go home now. After all of that. But uh, let's just say those are the names. That gives you some idea of what they're talking about. But apparently it's not the most important part. Or we would be able to clearly and fully understand it. But what we do know about these spices is that they were sweet. Now that doesn't mean sweet to the taste. Um, when I was a kid I liked chocolate milk. And we were out of Nestle's Quick. Nobody was home, so I climbed up on the cabinet and I got some Hershey's cocoa in the can and in the powder. Smelled the same, looked the same, and I put it in my milk. I want to tell you something. 
That was awful. That was awful. I like cinnamon. And I remember one time when I was a kid taking cinnamon and just putting it on my finger and putting it on my tongue thinking it would be wonderful. It is not. They're not sweet. But they are sweet smelling. When you smelled that cocoa, it was a good smell. Even though it didn't taste good. The cinnamon was a good smell even though it didn't taste particularly good. It needed something else with it. So these spices are not something that you would eat. They're not something that would taste sweet. They wouldn't be a dessert or a treat. But oh, the smell and oh, the aroma of these things. And God said that it is something that must be pure, that it is holy, it's set apart for him. But also notice, too, that he talks about the excellence of it. Don't just throw it together and hope for the best. It's to be made by someone who is a perfumer, or some versions say an apothecary, with the art the care and the skill that someone would make fine perfume or make medicine for someone else. Now, where did they learn all of this? And doubtless, they had learned these things in Egypt. And there were certain people among them that were skilled in this. And God said, I want it to be the very best because worship is never to be haphazard and um, thoughtless. And we also are to be at our very best in terms of our skill when we do that. And so uh, that's the command that is given here about the spices and everything that is in them. And notice that they are to be beaten and they are to be put together like this for the glory of the Lord. Because it's the incense that makes worship possible and acceptable to the Lord if we're thinking spiritually and symbolically and uh, the people that made these things they of course would have to gather up all of these ingredients in the right proportions because these are all supposed to be equal purport, equally proportioned so you can't run short of any of them or it falls short of what God has commanded and then um, I also read that some ancient Jewish writings said that when they made these things, they made them all for an entire year at one time. And they would do about a pound of these a day. So that's 365 pounds of all of this stuff put together to make the incense that would be burned in the tabernacle and later in the temple. That's a lot of stuff. In fact, it was more than that because they did triple the amount for the Day of Atonement. That's a lot of work and a lot of skill and everything that had to be put together there. And when we think about this, we think about the blending of these different things for a sweet smell there in the tabernacle. And it reminds me that when we wor worship, we're different people, different races. We have different talents. We have different spiritual gifts. We have different backgrounds, different baggages, different scars, all of these kind of things. And yet when we come together as the body of Christ, the Lord goes... Ah, and it's a sweet smell because we work together in harmony. We're not supposed to be the same. We're not supposed to be all Stacte or Annika or something like that. We're a blend of all of these things together. And the diversity of all of this, the world always talks about we have great strength in diversity. No, we have a lot of division out there because of our diversity. But in the church, it's different. 
supernaturally, we are all brought together and we are stronger because of the diversity. And in the book of Revelation, it speaks of a day when we are going to be praising the Lord together with people of every tongue and tribe from all over the world and we will be giving glory to the Lord. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. So think about the spices. That's kind of representing us and our worship of the Lord. It gives us that picture. But there's a second thing that I want to mention, and that is the sweetness. Why does it matter that these spices were sweet-smelling? Okay? Well, first of all, it is for the Lord. That's a given. But then again, the Lord also said, whenever the animals are burned on the altar, that's a sweet-smelling smell. Well, I'm glad you like it, Lord, because to me... That is a horrible smell. And you think about all of the animals that would be burned there in the courtyard of the tabernacle and think of the smell that was coming up on that. You know, there's nothing pleasant. Well, back up just a little bit. I've got a smoker and I like going out on the back patio when that smoker is going and just take a whiff. I mean, if that's what cigarettes were like, I'd be a chain smoker, right? Smells good. Ah, smells good. But have you ever walked into a kitchen when something was burning? And you go, oh, oh, something's burning, and, and boy, you know the food is ruined, and it's not an appetizing smell. Can you imagine what it was like for the priests that were ministering in the tabernacle and in the courtyard there with all of the animals that were being burned as a sacrifice to the Lord? Not to mention that they would drain the blood out of those animals before they sacrifice them. And sometimes we might picture somebody with a little lamb and some blood, and it's a little, you know, gross, but, you, you know, not, not a big deal. Josephus was a historian that was hired by the Roman government to write the history of the Jews because they fully expected that the Jewish nation and Jewish race would be wiped out in their lifetime. <laughs> little did they know. Josephus writes, and of course this is later, this is at the temple, but on the day of Passover, this kind of gives you just some idea, 256,000 lambs were slaughtered on that one day. How much blood would that be? You ever smelled blood after it has been sitting in the sun? By the time you offer those animals... By the time the blood is everywhere and, and shed, that's quite an odor. And I can imagine as the priests put the incense on that table, it was to be burning all the time. They would go over there and like I would do going out to smell the smoker, they would go to smell the incense and go, oh, that smells so good. There was a practical reason that the Lord had them do that. It wasn't all spiritual. It was to help and to bless the priest as they were carrying out those uh, gruesome sacrifices there. When we uh, think about the Lord and think about how practical He is, understand this, that worship, while it is directed toward God, it also has this practical effect in all of us. Some of you are going through hell sideways right now. And life just, how do we put it? I'm not going to say the word some of you say because it's vulgar. It stinks. Is that clear enough? Life just stinks. 
Why does God call us together to worship? Because you're in the incense right now. And this is what makes life sweeter. It's your daily time with God that makes a stinking, putrid life sweeter and tolerable as we walk with Him. So, if you've got a negative attitude and never can see anything good and everything seems to be coming down upon you, the first thing I would say is you need to worship more and you need to get a whiff of the incense that's on the golden altar. And if you are not, then no wonder all you get is all that the world has to offer. And I mean, it's not good. It's rotten. It's dying. As John put it, he said, the world is passing away. What do we mean when we say somebody has passed away? This world is dead, and it is dying, and it is getting more rotten by the moment. And if you don't have a walk with God, and if you don't worship Him every day of your life, and if you don't gather for corporate worship, prepare for it to get worse, because this is where you get a whiff of the incense. Think of all that was going on there and all that was happening and all the priest had to do. And think about how good that incense must have been to them. Worship is sweet because it shows honor to God. In a world that ignores God, replaces God, says that God doesn't matter, we have a different perspective. We honor the king of the universe. We honor our creator. We honor the one who is ruling and reigning. We honor the one who provides our daily bread for us. We honor the one who sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sin. I mean, this is worship as we think about those things that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. As we honor God, we honor him and worship him by remembering the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. Why? God wants to be remembered. He wants his mighty acts to be remembered. We cannot go to God and say, well, yeah, I know you did all of that stuff before, but what have you done for me lately? That's not the way to approach and to worship God. We think about him speaking. Let there be light. And right after that, the scripture says, there was light. He didn't create the sun until later, but light had to obey his commands. He's the boss. When Jesus walked upon the water, how did he do that? Because all the water molecules got together and said, this is the boss. This is our creator. Get together and don't let him fall. He's the one who holds all things together, the book of Colossians says. This is the God who created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. When I go into surgery on Wednesday, how do they know what they're going to do? How do I know I'm going to be better after they get through? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of the order of God, people have been able to figure out how to open up somebody's chest, stop the heart, take it out, work on it, put it back in, restart it, close everything up so that our lives can be extended. <clears throat> That's amazing. But don't give the doctors glory for that. The glory goes to God. He's the one that made us. And we are so consistent. Isn't it interesting? Our DNA is different. Our looks are different. Everything about us is different. We're individuals and we are unique individuals made by God. But there's enough of us that is the same that a doctor and a pharmacist can figure out what pill you need to take, what surgery you need to have, how it's going to work, 
and how you're going to recover. I've been watching videos. I don't recommend that. It's kind of helpful, kind of not. They told me some things I wasn't sure. I'd just soon be knocked out and have it happen and not really know about it. But as you uh, think about all of the things that you go through, it was amazing how consistent they all were. Now, did everybody recover in a month? No. Some people, it took a little longer. Some people recovered sooner than that. Uh, did everybody have all of the same after effects? No. Some people had pain in different areas. And some people, um, you know, were able to come home and just take Tylenol and that kind of thing. Other people stayed on their strong stuff for three or four weeks. But within a reasonable amount of time... Everybody seemed to have the same situation and the same type of recovery. And by about eight weeks, all of them were back to work and doing those kind of things. Why is that? Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the God who made us made us so different and yet so much the same. And I think it's a metaphor for life. We're so different some of you have been through things that I can't even imagine and I wouldn't want to trade places with you. Some of you have never been through some of the things that I've been through. And yet at the same time, there's a similarity in all of it. The pain, the sorrow, the grieving, the disappointments, all of those kind of things that we have are all a part of being human in a fallen world, isn't it? We've all been under the attack of the enemy. We've all have suffered the effects of living in this world that is under a curse. It's all a part of what we go through. In fact, the Bible tells us that when we think about our suffering, remember, this is the same suffering throughout the brotherhood. There's probably somebody who's got it worse even than you, Job. That was sarcastic. Because sometimes you feel like Job, don't you? But there's probably somebody worse. And there's probably somebody who would gladly trade their problems for yours. Now, I don't really want to go to the hospital and I'm looking for any way I can to get out of it. Okay? Uh-oh, somebody coughed on me. I'm afraid I might get a cold. Let's put this thing off. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. But, when I think about what I'm going through, and I think about what some of you are going through with your families, I'd have open heart surgery a thousand times. Some of you that are going through problems with your families, and you say, could it get any worse than this? Walk over to Rest Haven and look at some of those tombstones. And there are some people that are not having problems with their families anymore because their families aren't here anymore. And kind of like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone, you know, you wish your family was gone, then after they're gone for a while, you wish they were back. And there are a lot of people today that are still grieving over family members that they wish they could have problems with. You understand what I'm saying? If we're not careful, what we do is we look at other people and say, well, their life is easy, their life is charmed. I want to tell you, you have no idea what they are going through behind the scenes, what they are going through internally. 
And it's something that we ought to have compassion on. And we ought to understand this. And we ought to come to honor God because it's God that puts any laughter in your life at all. It's God who puts any enjoyment. You may be going through a hard time with your family, but you had a 20-ounce steak at Cattleman's last night. And oh man, was it good. Hey, if it were not for the grace of God, even that wouldn't be good. It's the grace of God that gives us those periods of peace. Sometimes, even in the midst of turmoil, your mind relaxes and it goes on to something else and you have a few minutes of peace. If it were not for the grace of God, you wouldn't have one minute of peace. And think about what it must be like for those tormented in hell who never get relief and they never get rest, they never get mercy, and everything is just compounded upon them and praise God that you're not there and praise God that if you're a believer you're not going there and praise God that every once in a while when you have a flash of pain when you have a bad circumstance when you are hurt that's hell splashing into your life but it is a temporary thing by the grace of God and so we come here to worship not to complain we come here to worship because it's God who keeps our lives from being as bad as they really could be and probably ought to be if you measured it by our sin. But oh, thank the Lord that where sin abounds, there does grace much more abound. And here we are praising Him and thanking Him because not only do we have times when a little bit of hell splashes into our lives, but even more, how about all those times when a little taste of heaven splashes into your life? What about those times when you have joy? What about those times when you have laughter? What about those times when things are just good? Whatever you do, it's just good and you really enjoyed it. That's a foretaste of glory divine. It doesn't even come close to telling you what heaven is like because eye is not seen. Ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So if you think it's good here, and if you think you've had fun here, and you think you've been blessed by things here, oh brother, oh sister, you just wait. There's a better day and an eternal day coming, and that is our hope. God did not just set us down here and say, run and run with all your might and don't let up. Where's the finish line? There's not one. Oh, yes, there is. There's a finish line. And we'll either cross that finish line in death or the Lord will return to take us where he is. But one of these days, it is going to be over. And every time we worship, we have a moment. We have a moment where heaven splashes in on us. And we get a taste of what it's going to be like forever. Where it never grows old. And it never gets dull. And it never gets boring. And wave after wave after wave after wave after wave of eternal joy comes your way. And we can't even begin to fathom what that is like. That's what worship is. Honor to God. It's remembering what He has done it's gratefulness to him for all that he has provided and for who he is. And all of that focuses on him because we're joyful in the Lord. 
and that causes us to be obedient in our lifestyle. Take what you've done here today home with you. You've got an assignment. You've got homework that the Holy Spirit is giving to you. Number three, notice here the symbols. Incense. Where do we find incense referred to in the Bible? Well, we've got it several places. First of all, it reminds us of Christ in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, listen, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's wonderful, isn't it? Christ is the incense. He was crushed According to Isaiah 53, it pleased the Father to, the best translation of the next word is to crush him for our sakes. And when that crushing took place, it was agony for Jesus. But the aroma of the incense was coming up to God the Father as his son paid the penalty for our sins. He's presently praying for us and his sacrifice was indeed sweet. It also reminds us of the believer's worship and prayers in Revelation 5.8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now listen, listen. Each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Well, you didn't know that when you were praying today. But you were offering incense, just like the priests were in the Old Testament on the golden altar, offering it up to the Lord. And it's a sweet thing. Why should I pray if God's going to be sovereign and do what he's going to do anyway? Because it's sweet to him. You're blessing your king as you pray for him. And that's what you ought to do. The incense reminds us of the glory of God. You remember that uh, the children of Israel... Back in um, Exodus 13, they were led at night by a pillar of fire. But during the day, they were led by a cloud. What did the incense do when it was burned in the tabernacle? It made a cloud. There was smoke that was there, sweet-smelling smoke, but it was there. And it was a reminder of the Shekinah glory of God that led them through the wilderness. And it also reminds us of us. Believers being here on earth, did you know you smell sweet to God? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph, in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. When you think about all of that, you remember the incense, and you think about the smell, and you think about the aroma, and where is that to happen? Here in the church? Absolutely, of course it is. And where else is it to happen? Everywhere we go. You're going to go to work tomorrow. And you're going to take the sweet smell of holiness and incense into that workplace. Into that school. Onto that playground. You're going to take it into that grocery store. Into that department store. 
And all of that is our opportunity as the people of God to spread the smell of the incense everywhere we go to the glory of God. And lastly, I want you to notice the seriousness. I'm afraid today that for a lot of worship services, I might take the theme song to Gilligan's Island as their theme. So join us here each week, dear friend. You're sure to get a smile. We've got pastors that think they're stand-up comedians. We've got churches all built around entertainment and meeting the needs of the people is what we have to do. Well, that's not worship. That might be psychology. That might be self-help. That might be a pep rally. But that's not worship. Worship is directed toward God. Does it spill over on us and help us and make us smile? Of course it does. But it's got to be directed toward Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is all about Him. In uh, chapter 30, verse 9, when he writes about this, he said, You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, uh, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. In fact, he goes ahead and says, And if you even make this incense for yourself, what happens? You're cut off. It's over. Curtains for you. You're finished. That's how serious God takes worship. Oh, that we would take worship even just a fraction as serious as God does. You may have come here in here today and just barely got here and ha, 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 I had a long time, you know, a rough night last night and you're just completely off track. Let me assure you, God's not. God's here and God's with us and God is worthy and God is serious about the songs we sing. God is serious about the way we preach. God is serious about the way we listen. God is serious about the way we pray. God is serious about the way we leave and how we leave and what happens when we leave. It was um, A.W. Tozer that said, 100 religious persons knit into a unitary into unity, pardon me, by careful organization does not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men in a funeral parlor make a football team. We're different. We have life. We have the Spirit of God within us. And we are to use that to bring glory and honor to our King. The bronze labor we talked about removes the negative things as a priest would wash in it that hinder worship. And the incense is what makes the worship acceptable. Sinners can come into the presence of God because the incense is burning and God only smells the sweetness of that smell and not the detestability of our sins that would cause Him to reject us. And this is all through the blood of Christ who is crushed in order to bring sweetness in the sweetness of heaven into our lives. Only the priest were to use it, but even they were to use it properly. The Bible tells us that later on in the book of Numbers that Aaron's own sons were offering strange fire on the Holy of Holies. You know what that was? It says in there that they took their censers, put fire in it from the bronze altar, and then they put incense on it. And you know what happened? Fire came from heaven and consumed them. See, worship is not possible for an unbeliever. And worship is also hindered when we try to do it 
in disobedience to the Lord. So we've got to be careful about all of this because God has something that he wants out of this. We come and say, oh Lord, this is what I want out of church. And can you hear the Lord as he says, excuse me, you're not the object of worship. You better be concerned with what I want out of church. I try to remember that the criteria for a good sermon is not whether you like it or not, but whether God is pleased. The criteria for evaluating a service is not, oh, that was a good service, I got a lot out of that. It would be a good service if you didn't get anything out of it as long as God the Father did. Everything directed to Him, and then His blessings spill out on us and over us. So remember this. Worship is the blending together of various believers with differing races, genders, generations, and economic backgrounds coming together in harmony, praying, giving, singing, expounding the word, exalting Christ, encouraging others. And we could go on and on and on with that, couldn't we? Have we really worshipped this morning? Worship is a duty, but more so, it's an honor. We should walk in here and say it is an honor to be here. It's an honor to sing. It's an honor to give. It's an honor to pray. It's an honor to listen to the word. Say some honor. Can you imagine if you were in the military and they came up and they said, you've been chosen to guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. It is your duty. Oh, it would be a duty. And you would do it right and do it well. But wouldn't you also feel the honor of being able to do the rituals that the military does around the tomb of the unknowns. That's an amazing thing. It's an honor to worship. Worship makes the hardship of life sweeter. Just as the priest moved from the bronze altar and the bronze laver to the golden altar of incense, so we move from concentrating on ourselves and even on our sin. We move on to smell the sweetness of the glories of Christ. You see, if all you did is come in here today and think about yourself and think about your sin, you ought to, and you ought to confess it. But you got to move on to the sweetness of the incense, the glory of Jesus Christ. And some of you have trouble doing that, and that's why worship is so unfulfilling. You've never seen the Lord and His glory. And understand that worship and His ordinances call us to remember the gracious works of God and to lift up our hearts to the throne. What a privilege. And worship is a witness. Unbelievers cannot worship, and their attempt to do so is actually sinful. They need Christ as their Savior and Lord. And when you think about the fact that you know Christ, how privileged and blessed you are out of all of the billions on the earth who have never even heard His name. The grace of God is amazing. And the more you focus on yourself, the more distracted you will be from the proper path, John MacArthur says. And the more you know Him and commune with Him, the more the Spirit will make you like Him. And the more you are like Him, the better you will understand His utter sufficiency for all of life's difficulties. And that is the only way to know 
real satisfaction. Worship is simply glorifying God. And this means that there is nothing required of us that cannot be done as an act of worship. Wherever we are, whatever situation we might be in, and whatever the calendar may say, worship is a duty and an honor and a possibility to bring sweetness into a life and a world that just stinks. And it's our way to keep looking up and to remember our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in the economy. Our hope is not in any human being, even our family. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Our Father, as we think about this, Forgive us for the times when we've just gone through the motions. Forgive us for the times when we've been so cavalier and casual about worship. Forgive us for the times when we always thought about what it would do for us instead of looking up to the glorious King that we serve. Forgive us and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.